This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please support us on Patreon over at patreon.com slash geeks or via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to Juan San Miguel, who just made a very generous contribution to the show via PayPal. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so now let's get to our show. Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 497 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be discussing the new Netflix movie Don't Look Up, directed by Adam McKay. And this will involve spoilers for everything in the movie, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got our producer, John Joseph Adams. He's the editor of Lightspeed Magazine and the series editor of the best American science fiction and fantasy. And he's also edited more than 30 other anthologies. His latest project is the three-volume dystopia triptych, Ignorance is Strength, Burn the Ashes, and Or Else the Light. So, John, welcome back. Always good to be here, even though we are all doomed. (laughs) The next up, we've got Erin Lindsay making her 33rd appearance on the show. She's the author of the Bloodbound series of epic fantasy novels and the Nicholas Lenoir series of paranormal detective novels, which she writes under the name E.L. Tetensor, The Silver Shooter, the latest novel in her Rose Gallagher series of historical mysteries, is out now. So, Erin, welcome to the show. Thanks. Nice to be back. And also joining us today is Tom Gerentzer, making his 23rd appearance on the show. His short fiction appears in magazines such as Galaxy's Edge and in books such as New Voices in Science Fiction. He's the author of the business book Think Like Google and the short story collection Intergalactic Refrigerator Repairmen Seldom Carry Cash. And his popular science book How It's Made, written for the Discovery Channel, will be out later this year. So, Tom, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Okay, so let's start off with John and have you tell us about your expectations going into Don't Look Up. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, all I knew about it really was uh, that I'd seen, uh, you know, the splash page on Netflix and I saw that it had, uh, you know, uh, a lot of star power in the cast. I, I believe in the poster there was Leonardo DiCaprio, um, Jennifer Lawrence and uh, Meryl Streep, I think, is, is who was in there. Uh, so, you know, had certain expectations based on that. I didn't know who wrote it or anything. Later, I, I looked it up and it was like, oh, OK, I would have had different expectations or, you know, maybe higher expectations if, if I had realized, you know, the creative team behind it. Um, it but then also, uh, Christy, uh, my wife, uh, uh, has, has a day job and uh, one of her co-workers was, was telling her, uh, was raving about it. And, and this co-worker is a big science fiction fan. So, uh, you know, we did go into it optimistic. Um, but uh, but yeah, so that's that's that what my expectations were. Well, so when you say the about the creative team that you looked up later, kind of what is yeah. the creative team? Uh, just well, Adam McKay, uh, you know, uh, wrote for Saturday Night Live and uh, uh, wrote uh, movies like uh, I think it's was it called The Big Short? Uh, I don't remember all the names right now, but um, yeah, The Big Short. But you know, right, right, and you know, so had you know, worked on uh, very well-regarded movies um, and uh, also has a, a humor pedigree. Uh, so, you know, that, that boded well for, uh, you know, this humorous science fiction movie. Um, 
So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I mean, honestly though, like, I mean, as far as my expectations, it really exceeded them all. Like I, I wasn't really expecting to enjoy it as much as I did. Um, also I'm much more of a television person. So it's like, it's like pulling teeth to get me to watch a movie, even though like I'll sit and watch, you know, four episodes, four hours of television, <laughs> you know, but watching a two hour movie that, ah, uh, seems like a lot of a big commitment, you know, I don't, oh, oh, I don't know. Uh, even though we could stop it at any time, you know. <laughs> But anyway, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Well, yeah, let, let me just say about Adam McKay. So, yeah, so he started out yeah. making all these movies with Will Ferrell, starting with yeah. Anchorman, uh, which is actually the only one of those early ones that I've actually seen. I mean, but they're really popular, like Talladega Nights oh, and Step Brothers. See Talladega Nights. <laughs> you won't regret it. <laughs> okay, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would be happy to watch them. Um, I just, for whatever reason, I haven't really watched any of those. Um, but I have seen The Big Short. Oh, and he's sort of like... Around 2015, he actually directed Ant-Man, the Marvel movie, oh. but then he sort of took a turn into more political movies with The Big Short and Vice, which is about, you know, former Vice President Dick Cheney. Mm -hmm. um, and so then this is sort of continuing that trend of sort of more politically oriented, like more serious mm -hmm. movies that are still funny. Um, but yeah, I, I didn't really, I, I wouldn't have known his name um, prior to this. So yeah, that didn't affect my expectations really. Um, but so how about Aaron? What were your expectations going into Don't Look Up? Um, well, I, <laughs> my, my expectations were, were mostly, um, that I really needed to see this movie because I didn't know that it existed until <laughs> we were having a conversation over Christmas holidays with, uh, my family and the range of reactions that were represented around the hmm. Christmas dinner table, basically like each of them was an archetype of, hmm. of some of the more classic reactions to this movie. So my brother raved about it. He thought it was so great. Um, his fiance couldn't watch it because it was too on the nose. And she hmm. just was like, I cringe and I can't, I don't need to be reminded how we're all going to die because we suck. Hmm. Um, my sister couldn't watch it past the first half an hour because she just thought it was eye rollingly stupid. And so they were sort of all over the place. Um, and that's not necessarily that common in my family. We're usually roughly on the same page about stuff like that. So, I mean, definitely I was intrigued going in, uh, to, to see which, which of these viewpoints, very different viewpoints I would most align with. And did you know it was from the director of Talladega Nights? I didn't. Uh, I didn't even realize that until after the fact. I, I clocked on pretty quickly that it was the same director as The Big Short, even though I didn't know him by name at the time, because um, there were enough of the sort of similar fingerprints on it. Um, but no, I didn't realize it until afterward. And to be very honest with you, I was kind of surprised for reasons we can maybe get into later huh. in the discussion. Okay, wait, I have a correction I made. I, I just said he directed Ant-Man, but I see that's incorrect. He wrote it, but he did not direct it. Oh, so, okay. Important correction there. Um, but most of these other movies that I mentioned or all the other ones, all the ones I mentioned, he actually directed them and wrote them. Um, but to have a Tom expectations going into don't look up. Yeah. My expectations were, uh, pretty much zero. I, I didn't know anything about it. I, um, I looked at the name of it and I was like, Oh, it sounds like it's probably about, about a, an asteroid hitting us. And I think I did know something about the story. So I was like, oh, I get it. I, I kind of felt like Aaron's sister did. I don't need to be reminded how much I suck. I, I check in on that regularly. <laughs> um, but uh, but but I did, you know, I, I just basically saw it. I was bored one night. It was after the kids were in bed. I saw that it was on Netflix and I said, I'll, I'll just watch it, whatever. 
So I had I had zero expectations for it. I didn't know anything about I love Talladega Nights and I had no idea that this was until just now that this was by the director of of uh, Talladega Nights. Yeah, so it seems like everyone saw this. I mean, like I guess Netflix was yeah. really is it, 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 did it did Netflix just show it to everyone and everyone watched it? Is that why everyone saw this or I well, think the they, star power has a huge amount of it, no? Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's that, but then also, like, uh, I mean, um, I think they, they had it on the splash page, like, when you log into Netflix, so, like, it would be, like, one of the first things yeah. you see. They, they were that, really that's putting I'm, that that's out That's what I'm there. saying, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you show it, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, and then because of that, and because of the star power, I think that made a lot of people watch it, and then, and then it became, like, one, like, the number one watched movie on Netflix or whatever. And so it was then also showing up in that popular list, you know, that you, that they have. So it had a lot of things going for it in that regard. Yeah. So it has been the, like the, I think it's been the number one movie like of this year or whatever. It's at, as far as I know, it's still the number two movie on Netflix of all time. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Spy caper red notice remains the most successful film of all time on Netflix with, 364 million hours notched in its first 28 days. Hmm. Which, by the way, has anyone here seen that? Yes. I I had to stop halfway through. I I love (laughs) what is it? The Rock and uh, and it's Gal Gadot and Ryan Reynolds. And I love all of them. I think they're brilliant. But I was watching this movie and I was like, I don't know what's going on here. It's really Hmm. slow and really just not fun to watch. And people love The Rock. I Hmm. I don't know. People are really excited about The Rock, which is why he continues to rake in the big bucks. You hmm. can't blame him. I mean, you can't blame him. The guy's great. He's but. very, he's very charming. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the, I like the rock. I never even heard of Red Notice, though, honestly. But uh, mm-hmm. I guess it's not. Is yeah, it not science it's, fiction? No, no, it's not. It's a floofy yeah. spy caper um, mm-hmm. that my parents recommended to me, and I was just so surprised because it doesn't seem like the type of movie they like. <laughs> but anyway, but I digress. Yeah. But I, I did want to say, Dave, in relation to the. The question about, you know, how, how we came across it and the fact that Netflix pushed it so hard. I, I think there is more than a little irony in the fact that we all watched it because Netflix's algo told us <laughs> to watch this star studded thing that treats <laughs> a very serious subject in a very lighthearted way. Yeah. Yeah. There, I mean, when we get in, you know, if, if there's anyone on the planet who hasn't seen this film yet, who doesn't yet understand the irony, hopefully it will become clear. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's let's definitely come back to that. Um, but you know, John John mentioned the um, star-studded cast, and like it's and so like I I didn't know anything about this really going in. I was sort of on vacation in December and wasn't really paying attention to much. And so John emails me. I have his email somewhere here. Um, but he basically says like, "Oh, you have to watch this movie. Don't look up." Oh, wait, here it is. Uh, this is John's email. Quote: "This don't look up movie on Netflix. Netflix original." Capital letters, watch it. So fucking dope. It's probably going to win a bunch of Oscars, and it's a satirical SF movie. So that's pretty much all I knew about it going in. And so hmm. I start start watching it, and just like the cast comes up, and it, it looks like some like made up movie from a yeah. from a sat you know like from a satirical movie where it's just a joke mm-hmm. about all the big stars in a movie or right. something. Um, so I'll just say so we've got Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, Kate Blanchett, Meryl Streep, Jonah Hill. Timothy Chalamet, Ron Perlman, Ariana Grande. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Yeah. Um, so, so John, so you just saw that list and you're like, I'm curious to check out what all these people are doing in this, in this movie. 
No, I mean, I was actually surprised at the list once I started watching it because I hadn't looked it up or anything. We just, we saw it on Netflix. We knew Leonardo DiCaprio, Jennifer Lawrence, and Meryl Streep were in it, I think, because they were the three that were on the poster or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was basically all I knew. And it was like, oh, well, that's a star-studded movie right there. It was just those three people, you know? Um, but then, like, yeah, once the once the uh, credits are rolling, and we're like, oh, my God, like, all these people are in it? And then as you're just watching the movie, and then you see all these other, like, sort of uh, character actors and stuff, like, oh, yeah, I know that guy. Oh, yeah, 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 he played this. And, he, you know, it's like, it's just, like, almost almost every, like, important role is, like, just played by somebody that you recognize uh, from yeah. something. Um, but... Yeah, but yeah well, and then yeah, with with Ariana Grande too. Like that was one of the um, that was one of the the reasons why, uh, or one of the factors in me talking about Oscars. I mean, because it's like I was like, because they, they have this like great original song in there, and it's like, you know, I mean, once you have an once you have an original song in a movie like that, it's like it blows open all the doors of possibilities. Like, oh hey, like we got we can actually get nominated for Oscar for this shit, you know? And it's like cause it's like uh, <laughs> it has it has a lot going for it. I mean, if they could nominate Blame Canada from the, from the <laughs> South Park movie for an yeah, Oscar, right. I think that right. that bodes well for the Ariana Grande tune. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great song. Um, it really, it, it really is. <laughs> you're, you're not casting aspersions at that I'll song, ex- are you? Because I'll just, ex- <laughs> I'll just explain. Aaron uh, lives in Canada, at least part time. Yeah. So, uh, okay, okay. Um, but it's a great song. Um, but I was going to say, you know, but I know Leonardo DiCaprio is a big climate change activist. Mm-hmm. And so I oh. assume that part of the reason this movie has this cast is because a lot of them were willing to sign up for it because mm-hmm. they saw it as like an important thing to do. Am I, mm-hmm. does anyone know any more about that or does that sound right to everyone? I don't know anything more about that, but I do. Yeah. I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio, doesn't he own like his own island that's all like, um, uh, really small carbon footprint and he's really heavily into uh into uh, his probably his corporate his uh private jet is small carbon footprint too but uh but he's yeah no he's he's really into environmental ca- uh causes i know i know yeah. that so i thought the yeah. same thing i thought well yeah he probably joined it. he that's, probably that's, did it for like that's what zero i wanted money that's what i want to do for the environment is just recycle everything on my own private island uh, yeah yeah that's my goal too yeah um, How's that going so far? <laughs> well, I need a couple more Patreon people to sign up. Before. <laughs> yeah, um, but 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 yeah. So um, I guess I'll explain what this movie is about. I think maybe John already said basically. But but so there are these two scientists played by Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence, I think, is a grad student, and mm-hmm. she discovers that. I guess the two of them together kind of observe that there's this comet that's going to hit the earth in six months and kill everybody. And it's a comedy because throughout the course of the movie, they go around to various uh, political and media powers and try to get people to take this seriously. And basically kind of nobody does. And and people are all just so wrapped up in their own uh, sort of trivial stuff and, you know, everything that, that like nobody takes it seriously and uh spoiler warning uh this this leads to a bad result um but so i think like the the first thing to to talk about with a a comedy movie like this is just is it funny mm-hmm. and i thought this was hilarious i i laughed yeah. out loud through the whole thing um so john you also thought mm-hmm. this was really funny 
Yeah, yeah. I, I Again, I was really surprised at how much I actually enjoyed that aspect of it. Like, I thought I might, uh, like, if I thought, like, maybe the science fiction stuff or the humor stuff would be done well, but not both. But actually, it did both well. Uh, and yeah, I agree. I, I laughed out loud throughout, you know, the whole thing. Um, you know, so, like, I, I love, I love, uh, like, there's this, like, recurring gag with Jennifer Lawrence's character where, like, this, this, uh, this, like, four-star general, like, goes to get them snacks and, he uh he at, like at charges the white house them. He, yeah at the white house and like he he charges the people that are wait like uh, the scientists uh he's like oh yeah it's ten dollars and then uh and then later they find out like oh no wait the snacks are free and then she's just like obsessed with this like why would he have charged for the snacks and then like she's like coming up with theories and stuff it's like the world is ending there's a comet coming to destroy the earth and uh and she's like <laughs> She just keeps analyzing, like, why Why would he have done that? Uh, For my money, so. that's the funniest joke in the movie. Yeah, yeah. It's literally the funniest joke in the yeah. movie. And one of the only things that made me laugh out loud. Oh, what? What? <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. All right. Well, actually, well, the, re- I, the reason I wanted to have... The reason I wanted to have Erin on this panel, even, even though she's apparently somewhat humorless, is to ask, huh. are the... <laughs> Are the <laughs> snacks at the White House actually free? <laughs> uh, I haven't been to the to the White House. Sorry. Um, I thought you the, wait. I thought you had been to the like for the UN stuff. I thought you said you had like I've, been to the White House. I've been to Capitol Hill, but I haven't mm. been to uh, the White House. Nah, okay. Are the snacks um, free at Capitol Hill? <laughs> I was not given any snacks. I was too busy following my boss around at a trot with a clipboard, like something mm. out of the West Wing, trying to hmm. brief him while we went from meeting to meeting. But he wasn't oh. really listening. <laughs> oh, you did a walk and talk. Oh yeah, my whole oh, life okay, was walk nice. and talk. <laughs> oh nice. It's real. The walk and talk is real. <laughs> Absolutely is. And they didn't read the briefing note. <laughs> well, but so, so Aaron, so granted you haven't been to the White House, but you've been to Capitol Hill, which is still pretty close. Uh, how did, cause this, this really seemed pretty realistic to me at the beginning, the way that they make the observation and the way that they, uh, you know, it's, it's, he's a astronomer. Leonardo DiCaprio is, is an astronomy professor at like Michigan State or something. And they're able mm. to get in touch with NASA and then they're put in touch with this office of planetary defense. And then eventually they get a meeting at the, in the Oval Office. Like, did all that, did all that stuff seem sort of right to you based on your knowledge of government? It really did. And, um, most of my knowledge of how that stuff works comes from the UN. Um, I don't know if we've mentioned on the show before, but I worked for the UN for a very, very long time, including sitting in on a lot of security council meetings, the the closed door meetings, not the ones Mm. you see on TV. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've seen discussions. And I also, fun fact, was the note taker (laughs) at the uh, UN Outer Space Conference Mm. uh, back when I was a young intern. But anyway, um, Mm. I sort of seen how these discussions unfold. And it was funny to me because one of the scenes that my sister singled out as being ridiculous was that first scene in the White House where they brief the president Hmm. and she's not like overwhelmingly Mm -hmm. alarmed by this news. And actually, I thought that that scene was, perhaps depressingly enough, relatively Hmm. realistic. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I've seen the way world leaders can actually become inured just Mm -hmm. to a certain degree to and and fair enough like they they really do here's a point where Meryl Streep's character says something to the effect of do you have any idea how many end of the world meetings i've had <laughs> yeah and and really that's only a slight exaggeration i think um so a lot of the way that that went down those those opening scenes i thought actually were really quite realistic and at that point in the film 
I was prepared to be really impressed by what followed. The only unrealistic thing I thought about that scene was the fact that they didn't think this would be great for their turnout in the midterms. Hmm. This is your opportunity to save the world. Yeah, right. Yeah. I thought their political read was unrealistic, but the fact yeah. that the political read was the first thing they worried about was not at all unrealistic to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. So so apparently Aaron didn't think this was that funny, and John and I both thought it was hilarious. And I want to get Tom in here. Tom, what's your vote on how funny is this movie? Yeah, I'm going to have to disagree with Aaron. I um, mm-hmm. I, I was a huge fan of the humor here. I, I, I thought there was tons of, you know, going into it, I was kind of prepared for it to be a lot of humor kind of directed at Republicans and Trump supporters and that's it. I, I was mm-hmm. I was ready for it to be kind of a one note thing and it wasn't that at all. There was so much variety of just making fun of everybody and everything in lots of different ways, tons of real humor that wasn't political and also just comes from human beings living in completely different worlds from each other. Like Dave said, really self-absorbed mm-hmm. in, in their trivial minutia of their day-to-day life. And then because of that, the humor sort of grew out of that in a lot of ways. People just, you know, one track, blinders on, doing their thing. And somebody else comes in with something that's important to them and says, hey, what about this? And the person just reacts like, I I could care less because this is where I'm going. Mm -hmm. Um, Just funny, funny moments. And like just little one little thing, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio is talking to his family on the phone and he's like, how's everybody doing? And uh and and his wife is like, well, your son, you know, he's he's on some new meds, and he's like, oh, great, how you doing with that? And he's like, I'm a solid four, um, <laughs> and, you know, and he's like, oh, that's great, I'm glad to hear that, you know, just like lots, so many little moments, or uh, when uh, Jonah Hill's character is like talking to Jennifer Lawrence, and he's like, you can't come to this meeting, you can't come, you can't come, you can't come, you got to stay here, and she's like, oh boy. And then he goes, do you want to come? And she goes, yeah. And he shuts the door, <laughs> walks out and shuts the door on her. Just so many funny uh, for lots of different reasons. I, I was, And they're so fast. The humor was coming so fast, like almost like two laughs a sentence. Um, and they, the way they also the way they would say something like they'd have a character say something really stupid and then cut the shot right away before you could react. Um, I thought was hilarious. I, I, I really just was was laughing out loud through the whole thing. Yeah, actually, I forgot to mention, so Tom, when you mentioned that you were afraid it would be one note, so I forgot to mention how this movie came about originally Mm -hmm. was that Adam McKay is friends with David Sirota, who's a high-profile political journalist, and he was uh, like campaign director or speechwriter, I think, for Bernie Sanders, Um, Mm -hmm. so kind of like at that level. And so they were having a conversation one day where uh, David Sirota says to Adam McKay, you have to use your talents for humor and screenwriting and stuff to draw mm-hmm. to bring attention to climate change and so adam mckay was thinking for a long time about how do i do this and i think it was actually david sirota said like you know in, in the course of these discussions at uh, david sirota at one point says like it's like a comet's heading for earth and nobody cares and adam mckay is like oh that's a great yeah. idea that's our movie <laughs> you know yeah um so it's kind of the two of them together so it sort of came up with the nice. concept and so the movie was apparently just from the ground up intended to be a to have this message you know to have this political kind of message but watching it i don't know i i felt like like you didn't have to you don't necessarily have to right you know be a big climate change activist to enjoy the movie i thought it was funny and i thought just it's um it's portrait of a of a media and political culture where like people just can't get anything done and you know and triviality just overwhelms everything i think I, th- I feel like lots of people can relate to that 
even if you yeah. don't necessarily, if you're not on board with the climate change message specifically. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. definitely, I agree too. Um, yeah, so question, did, uh, was David Sirota, is that the guy's name? Yeah. Uh, did David Sirota get, uh, did he get credit for, for this <laughs> in any way? Like, did he get like a story by credit or something? Just because it sounds like the movie wouldn't happen if he didn't. Uh, uh, have I, I, I think he was a producer on it. I mean. Oh, OK. All right. He, good, good. I mean, the reason I know this is because, like, I saw him interviewed. You know, he was doing press yeah, for it yeah. and stuff. So, you know, it's it's not right. like. Oh, like he, OK. So like stole his idea and just like. Yeah, right, right, right. I, I mean, I was only just I was only kind of kidding. But, yeah. uh, you know, uh, that's good. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, uh, I, I, yeah, no, I agree. I, I think that, uh, uh, in, in some respects, I, I, I don't know if the movie was as successful as it, as, uh, um, maybe they were hoping it to be in, in that regard. Uh, because yeah, like I think you could totally watch it and not even be aware that that really was what they were going for. Um, it's like, it definitely satirizes the broader culture and like, you can't miss that. But I think, you know, people could certainly miss the, the climate change thing if they don't want to know it's there, you know? So like if like if they disagree with like they don't believe in climate change or whatever that's just like la 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 oh I'm just having fun with this nice movie where the world ends this is fine you yeah know? well uh, I mean the, the climate change metaphor is pretty obvious when it's like scientists you know yeah, trying right, to yeah. alert the media to danger and being ignored <laughs> and stuff right but it's like I, I feel like so much of the um, satire is directed at the media that it's almost yeah. like that that's what sticks in my mind more is the like media satire more that's than necessarily what... the that's yeah, what shocked me about it. That, that, um, you know, I, I watched the movie and I was instantly like, okay, this is a climate change metaphor. And then I was like, okay, they're going to start hammering on hmm. Republicans really hard. And they did, but they didn't, they also hammered, I mean, they obviously, they clearly hammered on Trump and Trump supporters and Republicans, but they hammered on Democrats. They hammered on, you know, cable TV. They hammered on the New York Times, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, Tim Cook. Social media, Apple and iPhone yeah. fans, scientists, Tesla, <laughs> Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, the, the media in general, journalists in particular, Hollywood, musicians, influencers, like <laughs> they just hit, they just hit everybody. And I was like, yeah. this is so refreshing. They're just pointing <laughs> the, the gun of satire at everybody they <laughs> yeah. can think of. Did you, did you make a whole list there, Tom? Or was that? I, I did. I did actually. I sat down at one point because at okay. one point it it struck me so as so amazing that I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna sit down and try to write out everybody they <laughs> lampooned in this, and it was it was everybody. I mean, they just basically were saying we are all to blame for this. Like, and I think they were laughing at themselves too. I mean, I I really yeah. do. I think they were laughing at celebrities and um, which I which I love. I absolutely love it when uh, when celebrities can do that. And and I, I you know the next day. After I watched it, suddenly there were all these people on social media um, saying, well, look, you know, it kind of chip on your shoulder type of posts. Like, if you don't like this movie, it's because <laughs> you're you think climate oh, yeah. change is fake. And I was like, I don't know. I just think it was a funny movie. I think you're. Yeah. And then there was all this controversy about, you know, is this movie, you know, do people hate it because it's because Republicans don't like it or whatever. And I was like, this is just a tempest in a teapot. It's like the thing, Dave, when you were. You did another Geek's Guide episode in the past where you talked to a guy, and you can remember the guy, I don't, but you talked to this guy who was saying, said some offhand comment about how Lord of the Rings oh, yeah. had some yeah. racist <laughs> elements in it. And then suddenly that got picked up by all these media outlets, which basically didn't listen to the show, yeah. but were like reading each other's stories and <laughs> you're like, oh, that'll get views. That's drama. <laughs> and just like rebroadcasting yeah. it. And then if you go back and actually listen to the show, he didn't really... 
he wasn't saying anything. I think it was who, who was it, Dave? Who yeah. Said that? Well, I don't want it was it was Andy Duncan. Um, I might do another episode on this, so I don't want to go into this too much right now. But yeah, I mean, it does actually bring up like just how bad that was. That was one of my big experiences doing this podcast with just how bad the media is and how like you know like like yeah, it was all these major. It was like Glenn Beck and you know the Daily Wire and it was like all these all these big platforms just totally either lying or misunderstanding and misreporting and just like feeding off each other and each person exaggerates it a little bit more and it's just this big like fucked up telephone game where everything gets completely misrepresented but yeah like like you had you one time told me that you thought television was like having a really entertaining friend who stopped entertaining you once every 15 minutes to ask you self-esteem lowering questions like are you you losing your hair do you have acne are you are you unattractive to the opposite sex and i love that analogy but i think you could go a step further and be like the media is like having a really entertaining friend who just wants to gossip about everybody and be like did you hear what so-and-so said about you did you hear like did she said this awful thing what do you think about that what are you going to say in response and then going and telling that person they just feed off that and that's that's what I feel like happened in the aftermath of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. There's so, and I want to get Aaron back in here. There's, there's a lot there that you said, Tom, I guess I'll just mention quickly just on, on that specific subject. There's like this part in the movie where, uh, Jennifer Lawrence, um, she, she goes on this, they go on this talk show and she's trying to raise the alarm and, and, and she becomes <laughs> this like internet meme where people are making fun of her for being crazy. And then her <laughs> boyfriend posts a story. He's a journalist. Oh, he posts right. a story yeah, yeah. where the headline is like, you know, that crazy chick who thinks we're all going to die. I actually slept with her. And this is like her, her, her boyfriend or like literal her boyfriend who's writing this about her. And it's just, yeah, it's just such a dead on satire yeah. of this media culture where people just totally trash people they've mm-hmm. dated for five seconds of attention on social media. Um, but I do want to get back to Aaron. Sorry. So Aaron, so you said that you were like with the movie through all the White House stuff and everything, but then at some point it kind of started to lose you. So, so what was that? Uh, it's not that it lost me. Um, I liked the movie. I would give it sort of a three out of five stars. Um, it's just, I wish it had been better. Um, <laughs> I wish it had been funnier. I wish it had been smarter. I wish it had been more incisive. Um, because I think the potential was all there. And, you know, all the jokes that you refer to, they were all there and I got the jokes. I just found them all so obvious. Um, and I think that was maybe the problem was that scattershot approach, um, which maybe didn't enable them to go beyond the obvious on any of these particular takedowns. Like to me, satire is at its best when it makes you think. Um, and I don't know if this movie really makes anyone think. And, and the reason I say that is because I think the people to whom it appealed the most were people who are already of the worldview that was considering these issues and aware of them and concerned about them. Um, so I don't know that it made, and, and I put myself in that category, and I don't know that it made me think anything new. Um, and the people to whom it didn't appeal, um, and, I, and I don't necessarily agree that w- while all of those targets that you mentioned, Tom, were targeted, there's no question that a disproportionate amount of the humor came at the expense of the MAGA crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if you're a part of that crowd, you feel so alienated by the movie anyway, that you're not going to stop and think. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, to me, you know, I read a review where, where the reviewer said the joke often ends at recognition. And I thought that's spot on. It's, oh, ha ha. I recognize that cartoonish portrayal of this person, or I recognize this other fairly caricature broad brush uh, portrayal. Um, 
And I would have liked more of that. And I think there was so much unexplored potential in this. And I think it could have just been so much smarter. And I know he has the capacity, he, Adam McKay, to do that, because I think we saw more of it in the big short. I just think, I just wish this film were a little more clever and a little less blunt. I just think, I feel like as, I mean, I don't know, I haven't done a survey or anything, but I, I feel like, you know, it was the number one movie on Netflix. And it seems like it's gotten a pretty positive response from all, the audience. Like the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes is 78%. And that's not like super scientific or anything, but it, it, I feel like ordinary people, even, you know, across the political spectrum have generally been pretty positive about it is my impression sure but that doesn't really speak to my point if i may say because you just already said did you not that the second movie was red notice if you haven't seen that have a watch (laughs) and then come back to me and tell me how well that's a barometer of the quality of the film that's an excellent point aaron but but i do think you know to your point about uh about you know it takes a, a, a what did you say a disproportionate amount of its shots were aimed at the maga crowd I don't know that I agree with that being that you know, I am not in any way, uh, you know, a, a, one of the MAGA crowd, but it does irk me when I read things in the media that are just trying to drag the MAGA crowd through the mud. Cause I, I don't like that whole, I think that's so alienating and just like just piling more fuel onto the fire of divisiveness. And I have, if I may say, a lot of my friends are in the MAGA crowd. Some of my best friends are in the MAGA <laughs> crowd. Um, but, uh, but so it always bothers me because I picture my, you know, my friends being like, like, like reading it and, or watching it and saying, oh, you know, this is, this is bothering me or this is just, I did not feel that that radar didn't go off at all watching this. It went off a little bit. There were a couple scenes, but to give you a great, to give you an example, um, toward the end, there's this scene where Jennifer Lawrence's boyfriend, a uh, new boyfriend who she meets because what the heck the world's going to. And I might as well just start making out with this guy. Um, he starts praying and I was like, okay, here we go. They're going to start dragging religion through the mud, which I was like, I was like, whatever. If they do, um, you know, they're, they're dragging everybody else through the mud. Who cares? But they really didn't. They really, they had him start praying. And then she was like, he was like, do you think it's stupid? And she's like, no, I think it's kind of sweet. And, um, and then he, that, that sort of develops later on in the movie and becomes sort of a theme that, he has this kind of genuine religion connection to God, whatever you want to call it, that they didn't make fun of at all. They kind of treated it very reverently. And I was, I was uh, touched by that. I thought, well, here's, here's where they had an opportunity to just, you know, start lampoon religion. And they, and they didn't, they just said, no, we're just going to, in this case, this guy, his own, per- maybe they, they would lampoon the whole institution, but this guy's personal religion, they just said, no, this, this makes sense. And we're just going to, respect that and and because of things like that i didn't i really didn't feel like it went over heavy in in the maga trashing well well, this is what this is what i what i was going to say is that i feel like the divide with this movie that i see and i could be wrong like i said i haven't done a survey or anything but the divide is more more seems to be ordinary viewers like it and critics Mm -hmm. are kind of hostile to it um and, and if it was just like oh people on the left like it and people on the right yeah uh, don't like it. I mean, that would be kind of expected and kind of mm-hmm. not that interesting to talk about. But that that isn't really the divide, at least so far that I that I've really seen. I yeah, mean, I, mean, I think ordinary viewers experienced it in a lot of different ways, as my Christmas dinner table illustrates. Hmm. Yeah, I, when I first mentioned it to Dave, I I was you know uh, he responded to that email that he quoted with like 
Uh, it's only got 55% on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, I could see, I could like hear the skepticism in Dave's email, uh, and I'm like, oh, that must have it must have been review bombed or something because you know, like I figured, like, oh, people who got offended by the portrayal of them seeing themselves in the movie were like, oh, let's go shit on this thing. But then it was like, no, that's the critic rating. And I'm like, huh? Yeah. You know, it was just like, like what? <laughs> and so yeah. uh, I, I, I was just, I was baffled. Um, and then, um. Uh, you know, I hadn't sought out any reviews or anything, but after he said that, I, I went and I looked up, I just looked up to see what was like the first hits or whatever of reviews. And I found this review on the, on rogerdeber.com, which, you know, of course it's not Roger Deber anymore because he's, he's, uh, no longer with us, but, uh, it was, oh my goodness, it was such a, like, brutal review. Like, I wasn't expecting it. I was like, I, I thought maybe the guy wouldn't like it, but it was like, this is like, uh, <laughs> this is like a, this movie is like a pile of shit type of review and just like yeah. i'm gonna tell you all the ways in which it is <laughs> yeah they they so. they kind of call it out as a soapbox movie as a polemic and and i don't yeah. i don't agree at all i don't yeah. think it is i didn't find it that way i i don't think mm-hmm. it's uh, to aaron's point or to agree with aaron on on something uh, finally uh <laughs> I, I i don't i don't think it's a great movie it's not one that i'm that's caused me to like really re-examine my priorities or anything like that i thought it was a really really funny very funny movie I thought it was well done. I liked it. I watched it a second time when I found out I was going to be on this panel, and I enjoyed it just as much the second time. But I, what I think, you, you make a really good point, John, that it's uh, that you know it was so shocking to to go and look at that fifty five percent rating and say, well, that's the critics only. The audience, the general audience, actually pretty much likes this movie, and what's going on there. And I, I thought hard about that, and I think maybe. It's that number one, it's very misanthropic, it's very cynical and very funny. And I think that kind of misanthropic, cynical humor doesn't work for everybody, especially critics. They want there to be more, um, you know, love, or empathy or whatever in their movies. But, but then I went and looked at, I went and, you know, I love Deadpool and Deadpool 2. And I went and looked at the Rotten Tomato scores of those. And those are really high compared to this movie and the critical reviews. So I'm like, yeah. well, maybe that wasn't it. I think I really think what's going on here is that I think a lot of the critics went into this thinking, I know what this is. It's going to point the finger at the people I don't like. And then it Mm. pointed the finger at everyone, including them. (laughs) And they were like, wait, that's that's really uncomfortable. I don't like that. Uh, And that maybe I'm wrong, but that's what it felt like to me. It felt like just too many fingers were pointed at too many things close to their home. Like, Mm. Oh no, wait, this isn't my fault too. This is their (laughs) fault. You can't point the finger at me where you really can't. If you look at this movie, it's hard to argue with any of the cynicism it has toward any of these groups at Lampoon's. Yeah, I'm skeptical. I mean, there might've been some of that going on. I think it's probably no more mysterious than the fact that uh, in my experience, um, Critics, movie critics are an echo chamber. And once a couple of high profile critics uh, set the bar for how the, the, the crowd experiences it, there's, there's often a lot of groupthink that goes along with it. Um, I would actually argue the opposite. I, I think satire, I said earlier, I thought satire was at its best when it makes you think. I think a subset of that is you need to see yourself in satire in order for it to bite. And I think most of us, I, I, I certainly I do take a, a lot of masochistic glee hmm. in, recognizing yourself and the way that that your priorities and your behavior is part of the send up. And one of my criticisms of this movie is I didn't see myself in it at all. I didn't see anyone real in it. I just saw caricatures. 
And I think that's where it fell flat for me. I think the movie would have been so much more effective instead of having Donald Trump on steroids in the, in the White House. We had actually something a little bit dialed back from that, something a bit more realistic. I would have loved to see more <laughs> bickering in Congress. I would have loved to see something that turned the lens away from the United States of America for two mm. seconds and, and really more than like a cut sequence of wildlife um, well, and, and really took that aspect into account. And I didn't see any of that. So I, I just the, the, thought it was clumsy in execution. The, the thing with the president is that, I mean, there's some, there's two really obvious Trump parallels, right? It's the like appointing close family members to high positions that they're not <laughs> qualified for. And, um, and having a sort of, I mean, it seems like having a sort of like populist base, like angry populist base. But there's a lot of ways that this character, like people say it's like, oh, it's just like Trump. I'm like, well, I mean, there's a picture of her like hugging Bill Clinton, right? Mm. That they show. I mean, I thought it was a way more. I didn't think it was like, like, oh, this is just like a Trump caricature. I thought it was like, oh, see, I agree. And I, I thought that was smoke and mirrors to make you think precisely that. Oh, see, we're being balanced. It's not political. Uh, okay. Because she hugged but, Bill Clinton. By the way, Aaron, when you say you would rather see somebody more realistic in the White House, did you mean in this movie, or did you mean <laughs> in, the, in real life? <laughs> Oh dear. No comment. Because 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 if you're looking at this movie and saying, well, it's not realistic, I mean, yeah. well, if you look at <laughs> the real real reality, it kind of is. Yeah, look, I mean, if I use the word realistic, I kind of regret it. Um you know, I think one of the challenges that satirists have right now I almost of course, spit water is out. is to be more satirical than than life itself. I guess what I meant to say is a is a more extreme, more typical um view of it. I think like it's very easy in a portrayal like this to say the problem is a handful of clowns, hmm. but that's not the problem. The problem goes much, much deeper than that. Um, and I, so I really appreciated things like the moment that you referenced earlier, Tom, uh, with, uh, Timothy Chalamet's character and the religion. I thought that was one of the better handled bits. Um, I liked the fact that Leonardo DiCaprio, who starts off as a very Anthony Fauci sort of character, um, he also gets swept up in the narcissism and the, and the media culture. I thought that that was a, a tick in the right column where they tried to sort of show that it isn't just down to a handful of clowns, but I think they <laughs> undermine themselves again and again, um, in going back to these same jokes. And that was, I guess, my other complaint is that I feel like it spent all of its jokes in the first third and then it just kept coming back to the same ones over and over instead of really sort of digging deeper and, 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 and again, being sharper in, in how they approach some of them. Could, could you give an example, Aaron, of like anything you would like specific, you would have changed about the story or the jokes or anything? Well, so I would have, for one thing, um, you know, they, they talk, we're, we're told that the scientific consensus is with uh, Jennifer Lawrence and Leonardo DiCaprio, but we're never shown that we never get other than the, uh, I don't remember anyone's names in this movie. Um, mm. the, the White House, the, the guy who's the head of the NASA watchdog. Uh, he's the only other scientist we ever see who backs them up. And so they talk about this scientific consensus. Well, if one of the points you're trying to get across is the very valid point that scientific consensus isn't making a dent in, in people's consciousness, then you, you really need to show that. Instead, what they're saying is they're, they're trying to, to use the girl who had a meltdown on a talk show and became a meme and the professor who becomes branded as America's sexiest scientist, hmm. they're the face of science. 
well, can you blame anyone for not paying attention to them? Like, I would have liked to see more, I would have liked to see more of the rest of the world involved in this and, and a real scientific consensus. I would have loved to see squabbling in the UN, squabbling in Congress. I would have loved to see the jockeying between big tech and the government. I think there was a lot more to get at there that they just, and instead we just had sort of rehashes of the same scenes over and over. Meryl Streep is being led around by the nose. Her son's a dude bro. The the tech guy is is creepy and out for his own benefit. We just saw a lot of the same thing over and over, and they all they were all caricatures more than characters to me. So how would you have like let's take the uh, the tech guy, which by the way he was really creepy. I don't know that actor, but he was he was. Really he, creepy. He is exceptionally Dis- creepy. Yeah. Disturbing. Yeah. The bird is, I find, <laughs> threatening. Like his whole. <laughs> that was actually quite good. Oh, that was, oh thank you. Uh, but but what would you have done with him to um, to make him more of a character and less of a caricature? Thanks for asking, Tom. Um, yeah, I sure. I think one of the things that was a missed opportunity there. Um, I I thought he was one of the more interesting characters, especially that. I think some of it's down to portrayal that creepy kind of Mr. Rogers thing he had going yeah. on was just perfect chef's kiss. Really great. Um, but I would have had tech positioned a little bit differently. They sort of use him as both stand in for big tech, but also for corporate interests. And I think that's awkward. Right. I think actually we see a fairly hostile positioning right now between big tech and government, whether it's the in the States or in the EU or in China. So it would have been interesting to position him more as like one of the things for me about climate change is how many people are content to, how does Meryl Streep put it, sit tight and assess. Right. Because they think tech is going to save them. Oh, don't worry. Tech will figure that out in five years, in 10 years. We're going to seed the sky with reflective whatevers and it's all going to be fine. I would have liked to have that whole storyline more of an Elon Musk kind of storyline where this guy, however megalomaniacal he may be, legitimately thinks he's going to save the world. Mm. And he puts so much faith in his shit, in his space mm. prowess, and it all blows up on the platform. Sort of like a Tony that, Stark who's not who's not competent enough to be Tony Stark. I, I like that. But but I, I felt like that that's really what I got from it. I mean where he, he where they're like where he, he comes up with his plan to break up the asteroid and mine it for rare earth materials i was like i had such a sinking feeling watching that because i was like oh this doesn't feel that yeah. satirical like i gotta right. kind of imagine this happening right but i but i see aaron's point that it it's it wasn't he didn't really seem to care he was so emotionally disengaged that he um which i think was part of his character a brilliant part of his character that he just had no emotion at all that mm-hmm. he didn't really seem to care one way or the other that he blew up the earth, that he was instrumental in that. He was just like, oh, well, you know, we, who, who knew we, that was bound to happen or that, you know, that was part of the risk or whatever. He just, which, which maybe, you know, maybe Elon Musk would be that way or maybe he wouldn't. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I don't think he would. And I think it's like, it, it's, they're trying to combine Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk and, you know, um, what's his face from Virgin Airlines. They're, they're trying to sort Richard of. Richard Branson. Put, yeah. Thank you. Put kind of put it all into one. Um, and maybe that's why it falls flat for me is that it doesn't really make sense because they're very different people with very different agendas. Hmm. See, John, I want, I want to get John back in here. Yeah. I was going to say about the, uh, about the asteroid or, or, you know, uh, about them mo- wanting to mine that was it an asteroid or a comet. It was a comet. It's a comet. 
Okay, so when they want to uh, mine the comet for uh, the rare minerals and stuff, uh, that reminded me of this uh, this other uh, s- sort of satirical um, uh, uh, apocalypse novel, but like from forever ago. I don't even remember. This Ooh. is like a super old book. It's called the Hopkins Manuscript. Okay, and like uh. this is like a book like nobody talks about or like really is aware of. I like only discovered it when I was like doing deep research into apocalypse stuff. But uh, so I read it and it's quite good. It's by R.C. Sheriff, who was actually a, a playwright of uh, some renown, uh, but he wrote this book. Um, and so in the book. Uh, the moon comes like loose from its orbit and it's going to crash into the earth. And so people are doing sort of similar things where like they're bickering and, and I mean, they, they don't like pretend it doesn't, or they don't like disbelieve that it's happening, but you know, um, but so, so the, this is like right after World War One. And so like, you know, the world has just had this in, immense conflict, right? And so finally, and then there's like a peace, but then the, the moon crashes into the earth and comically, it just sort of like, I mean, it's not played for laughs in the book, but it's just like ridiculous, but like the moon crashes into like the Atlantic ocean and it just like smashes flat, like a pancake and, and makes new land in between, uh, you know, uh, North America and Europe, uh, but it's full of minerals. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, you know, everybody goes to war again over this new resource. Um, but, uh, yeah, it just, it reminded me a lot of that just because it had so many different, uh, you know, commonalities with the sort of with that angle. Huh. Yeah, actually, um, on, just on the question of is it a comet or asteroid? It's technically it's yeah. a comet. I probably said asteroid a couple of times in the course of this conversation, yeah. but it is technically it's a comet, not an asteroid. Right. Right. Um, but I'm I'm curious since you men- mentioned John a little bit of the history of uh, a- yeah. of asteroid impact science fiction. Sure. I wanted to mention you know obviously there's like Armageddon and Deep Impact. Um. Has anyone heard of or seen this movie Greenland from 2020? It's like this Gerard Butler movie. No. 78% no. on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, I think I have. Uh, I don't remember. I certainly They're like seen gonna the they're like evacuating people to Greenland. That's why it's called Greenland. I don't know. <laughs> um they, they probably they should have considered a different title. <laughs> um and then there's um like in terms of novels there you got Footfall yeah. by Niven and Pornell, The Hammer of God by Arthur C. Clarke and Titan by Stephen Baxter are the ones that I've heard of. Uh, yeah. I haven't read any of those, but um but John, do you do you think do you think Don't Look Up is the best asteroid impact science fiction that you've read or watched or do you have something else you think is better? Uh well it's a comet but uh, as we just established, <laughs> yes uh uh yeah no I uh I mean it's certainly up there um I do have to say uh that there's a a story I published in Lightspeed called uh biographical fragments of the life of Julian Prince uh which is nice. a um asteroid apocalypse story or I can't remember if that one's an asteroid or comet. It's it's some kind of large astral body that smashes into the earth, you know, whatever. Uh we need like a general term just apply to that. So we can say it doesn't what what difference does it make? Um but anyway, com- so that comoroid. Yeah, comoroid, yeah. Uh so that story yeah, like a I mean I for that. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Aaron, you've said so many quotable things in this episode. Like, I just want to, like, write them down. I would just like to prove that I do, in fact, have a sense of humor. I was going to say, if Adam McKay is listening, up until this point, he was probably thinking, well, she probably doesn't have a sense of humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well done. Well done. Uh, But, yeah, this this story, it's by Jake Kerr. Uh, I I mean, I think it's honestly, like, my favorite thing that I publish in Lightspeed. Uh, And it's just amazing. And it's not satirical. It's, um, you know... 
uh, it's just a straight up, uh, like, like, you know, uh, straight, um, uh, you know, apocalypse story. But it's just so, like, moving and uh, rich. And he does this really interesting thing where it's like, as the title suggests, it's like it's um, it's a bunch of different excerpts of things. But it's like he does this interesting thing where it's like uh, he tells you the story, but then there's all of this stuff that exists in like the sort of meta space around the story that you fill in as you're reading it uh just because it, it's like i don't know there's something about it it's like a, it's almost like a uh a, a really a really unusual reading experience in that regard um mm. but, you, uh, but yeah, say, I, I just love it could you say john again what was the t- title and could you explain the title sure it's called biographical fragments of the life of julian prince um, and so the, the the title refers to this. Uh, there's a writer named Julian Prince who is living in this time when they know that this um, astral body is coming to collide with the Earth, and he becomes like the leading voice of like commenting on it and discussing it in um, you know sort of nonfiction terms. But then he also writes some novels that are like very um, you know sort of life affirming and uh, exploring the human condition that kind of thing. Um, you know, in the wake of this, uh, and, uh, oh, and, and also, uh, so in this, in this story, the, the, so the body does collide with the earth and, and, you know, so there's an apocalypse, but it, it doesn't like destroy the earth. It's just that there's this, uh, massive event. It, it like, I think it destroys basically all of North America because of like tidal waves and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think it impacts right in North America. So, you know, North America is basically destroyed, uh, but then the rest of the world exists. And of course, but there's refugees and everything. And so this writer is talking about all of this, uh you know kind of stuff uh in the aftermath uh and uh and yeah so yeah it's it's just uh it's a really stunning story um and it's hard to do it justice so it's talking about it um like this but um but yeah and i mean people, if people see, could go read it on lightspeed yeah right now, absolutely right? yeah 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 you could just if you just google that title um yeah you can find it on lightspeed right now um and yeah like if you like don't look up i mean i think definitely you would uh you know, be worthwhile to read this. But um, I mean, even if you didn't like it, but you just like the concept of it, <laughs> maybe go read that story. Maybe you'll like that better. Uh, but um, but yeah, uh, it, it's something it's something that I think about a lot. And I, I just really love that story. Yeah, that's cool. I guess just the other point I wanted to make is, you know, Erin mentioned that she didn't think that this movie is going to really change anyone's mind or anything. And I could see, you know, probably like ordinary people watching it, you know, if you're like really firmly on one side of the climate debate or the other it's probably not gonna you're not probably not gonna flip just from watching this thing but where i could see this having a big impact actually is in the media and that's why i think it's kind of like kind of brilliant how it how it takes aim so squarely at the media and there's like this talk show and the hosts you know don't know who the guests are and don't know anything about what they're there to talk about and don't care and are just asking you know like so are there aliens and stuff and which all, all that I thought was, was really funny and really dead on, but it made me sort of as a sort of media person kind of squirm and be like, oh, <laughs> am I paying enough? Yeah. Have I been, and I talk a lot about climate change and stuff, but I'm like, yeah. you know, it made me wonder, am I doing enough? Am I taking this? Is there, is there more I could be doing? And so I, I feel like a lot of people in the media who watch this are probably going to feel that, that sense of like, uh, this is yeah. calling me out. Um, maybe, maybe I should be doing more. I'm sure they'll feel it, but I'm not convinced it will be able to have an impact just because it's not their fault that, 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 I mean, they're kind of, they're part of a system that doesn't allow them. I I ran a, a a news site for, for over a year. It just ended recently, but, um, but it was, uh, it was very exciting, but we were, it was amazing how we started out with this brilliant team of writers and writing about things that were very useful and helpful. 
And then after a while, after like, you know, playing the traffic game and watching, you know, what worked and what didn't, it just became where myself and these this brilliant team of writers, including including one who's a, a bona fide astrophysicist, former NASA employee, we all just ended up being like, well, we just is this story about does it have enough drama in it? Because if not, we're not going to get traffic. And, and at the same time, we knew that what we were doing was kind of gross that we were and we joked about it that, well, we're just going for drama. But it's hey, it's what brought the money in and what was going to keep the client happy. And every time we got a big traffic success, the client was happy. And that, you know, that was from drama every single time. Yeah. It wasn't well, from. And there's a scene in this movie that's exactly that, right? Where after their appearance, where they mentioned yeah. that there's this asteroid, this comet, sorry, that's going to destroy the earth in six months. The, the social media person's looking at the analytics and they're like, yeah, like it didn't really do that well, <laughs> yeah. you know, which, that which I, which I, I disagree that that would be the reaction. I think, you know, obviously that would be huge. Everybody would be interested, but, um, but they, I love that. Number one, this movie is a great, it, whether it's the best asteroid movie or not, it's a hmm. brilliant turn of the screw to borrow a Henry James Hmm. Uh, phrase, but it's a brilliant turn of the screw on that in that, you know, no, it's not just going to be about the, the, the conflict isn't, you know, man versus nature or, or humankind versus comet. It, the conflict is literally going to be, it's going to be turned into a political football. And I think where this movie could have an impact, maybe it won't have, be able to have an impact in that scary, entrenched system of the media that's just like dragging all these journalists along with it and saying, look, if you want to make money, you got to have drama. You got to pull eyeballs. Um, maybe what it, where, it, where it might have an impact is in the people who are, who are driving that, the people who are just the media consumers, because this is where the movie impacted me. This is where it, I, I didn't think, oh, now I believe climate change. I didn't think, you know, I, I believe in climate change, but just for sake of argument, it wasn't like I was suddenly mm -hmm. like, Oh, now, you know, it made me want to go out and fight climate change. What it did really make me do in my heart was say, holy crap, I got to stop looking at so, so much social media uh -huh. and looking and looking at so much media and, and believing what these people are saying when they say, you know, oh, re Republicans said this about think this about Democrats or Democrats think this about Republicans. I got to stop believing that because that whole argument is what they're making money off of. And that whole argument is what's causing the problem that Leonardo DiCaprio shouts about in this movie and says, how did we get to this problem and how do we fix it? You know, that that to me, that's where it hit me. And that's where hopefully it will have an impact. Um, to go back to something that that uh, John was talking about, I was listening to the description of the short story mm. and thinking that to me, um, and, and I also mentioned earlier in the show that I was surprised to find to find out that this was the same person who made uh, Anchorman and Talladega Nights and some of these earlier movies. Um, I, and someone who has that humor pedigree, um, I thought Talladega Nights was hilarious. Um, it's a, it's a very different type of humor. Um, I also, I was hoping for a more of a veep style of, of mm, humor mm -hmm. in, in this movie that, that I didn't really get. And I think, I wonder if part of the problem was that to be successful at that kind of comedy, you need a certain irreverence. You, you need to be having fun with it. And I wonder if he was having any fun with this at all. Um, and to me, actually, incongruously, the part of the movie that maybe worked the best for me were those final scenes where they're sitting around the table. Um, sort of that discussion of, of what do you do when you know that the comet is about to hit? how do you choose to spend those last moments of your life? What is it that you think about? What is it that you talk about? 
that was some of the most interesting material for me in the movie. And I wonder if it's any coincidence if that more dramatic, somber aspect of it was more sensitively made than anything that had come before. Like, I wonder if part of the problem is the, the headspace behind the writing. There was so much of an urge to drive home a message and make a series of points that it kind of got in the way of that, that fun zeal that I think maybe you need to have to write good comedy. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I really wonder what this movie would have, how this movie would have turned out if it had been made 20 years ago, or, you know, in some like way, in some less, you yeah. know, polarized, less, yeah, polarized yeah. you know, like, like less, like, what's the word, you know, like high stakes sort of environment, oh. you know, mm -hmm. where like, because, because, because a movie just about, you know, the scientists discover this comet's going to destroy the earth and no one will pay any attention. That's just funny. It's just a funny idea. And I feel like, like, because of, because we're living in such fraught, that's the word I'm looking for, in such fraught, in such a fraught political environment, that I feel like that, 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 that sort of shapes everything about, yeah, like maybe how the movie was written and certainly how it's been received and reviewed and, and everything. And yeah, I, I, that's just something I was just wondering about after I watched it. It's mm -hmm. like, yeah, if this had been made at the same time as Armageddon and Deep Impact, mm -hmm. like how much different of a movie would that be? Mm -hmm. It's an interesting question, and, and and politics is one aspect of it. But I wonder too how much the experience of pandemic has affected how we all met metabolize this, and why maybe it feels simultaneously a little too close to home and also a little trite, at least to me. And I should say that this is the kind of stuff that should be totally within my wheelhouse, because aside from the fact that I spent most of my career in the in the halls of big power. You know, I did, I did my, my master's thesis in political science on, on the role of the media in shaping geopolitics. Like this is something that's, you know, and, and how that sort of trite, uh, commercially driven popularized approach was really, you know, driving us all into the ground. So like spiritually, I'm completely aligned with this. Is that maybe part of the problem? You know, it, it, am I maybe expecting more out of it? Cause I almost need more out of it and, and looking uh -huh. at how, looking at how closely this sort of matches some of our experiences, you know, like where you sit, for example, uh, on the issue of vaccine mandates or where you sit on the issue of uh, collective action, um, you know, in terms of, of border closures and things like that. Like, I, I just wonder if the experience of pandemic has kind of hardened our positions on some of this stuff to a degree that well, a lot of it bounces off. Mm. Well, I did see Adam McKay. He said that, you know, he wrote this before the pandemic. And then after the pandemic, he was kind of like, he went through a period of time where he's like, oh, should mm. I even do this? Like it already had yeah. kind of already happened already. And then yeah. he, he went back and made it a little bit more silly to just try to mm. differentiate it from oh. what had actually happened in real life. Mm. So Aaron, Ooh, I want to see the first run. <laughs> yeah, right. So Aaron, you're thinking it's more like you have so much invested in this that you really wanted it to soar in certain ways. And mm. then when you, what you saw didn't go far enough for you, um, in terms of what, what you had hoped would, uh, because this is so close to your heart, this subject aligns so much with, with what you want to see that, uh, you didn't feel like they did it justice. I'm wondering, you know, I'm speculating about sort of, it's always hard to know why we process things mm -hmm. the way they, that, that we do. And there's always lots of factors at play, but, but I do think that that would be a hell of a coincidence. Um, mm. if, if that weren't the case. And, you know, as I said, I was really struck by, and it was interesting, um, Dave, when you were talking about the profile of the co-writer, 
I wonder if that explains how surprisingly realistic those early White House scenes were for me. Like I really was watching them thinking, this looks more like the the sort of Capitol Hill that I recognize than anything I've ever seen on television, ever. Oh, wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think that makes a lot of sense to me, Aaron, because uh, uh, I, I, you know, the, the rationale you're uh, explaining there, um, because uh, I also had, uh, I spent some time thinking about, like, the critical response and, and wondering if uh, part of the disconnect there with the critics were, you know, leading to that 55% or whatever, um, is that maybe uh, sort of people were uh, uh, approaching it in this with this really critical mindset of like analyzing the film, like, you know, as, as a critic, as a writer, as a, you know, person who worked in these fields or, or, or whatever. Um, and, and uh, whereas the audience uh, went into it with just, you know, they're just regular people who don't have those uh, strict connections uh, to, to these various industries. Um, and so I wondered if that was part of the, the, the reason for the, the, the difference there. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, Dave and Tom and I are, are uh, uh, you know, working in publishing and things. And so it's like we're not just like regular people. And of course, Aaron is, too. But um, but we liked it and she didn't like it as much. So uh, but, you know, um, it's uh, a small yeah, sample, just, but it's indicative. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But I mean, I, I just I, it just seemed to me like maybe um, maybe that was uh, part of it. Well, because and, and I mean, as an editor, I feel like I always have to go into things without like sort of analyzing them on that level i just want to experience them like a, like a regular uh, audience member does because you know they're not going to bring uh, an audience member isn't going to bring uh uh you know thousands of pages of study into post-apocalyptic narratives like i have you know or, or whatever to, to a book a movie like this um right or yeah well, so. well let me because i was going to say john is that one of my theories yeah. for why so many critics seem to not like this who you think would be ideologically yeah. aligned with it is just because like what they knew going into it was like this is like the greatest actors of our era take on the yeah. biggest political issue of our times and then they watch and they're like, yeah, that was all right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas me, yeah, I'm just yeah. like, oh, it's, it's like a funny movie. Let's, I heard this was funny. <laughs> let me watch. I don't really care <laughs> about actors at all. Like, let me just watch yeah, it. Yeah, I'm yeah. like, oh, that was pretty funny. So it, yeah, it might just that's, be. That's how it hit me exactly. Mm -hmm. That makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah, yeah, I think that makes sense. Maybe, it, I don't know. Um, and, and the, and the writing pedigree as well. Um, and I mean, I do maintain like humor is a very personal thing. And, and, you know, I, I would like to point out, too, that w this is the same panel uh, that discussed Avenue 5. Um, and we had a similar alignment there where I hmm. was the one who thought it was the least funny. Um, even though, you know, in talking about it, John, I seem to recall that you and I have exactly the same taste in in comedies. We, we like The Office. We like Veep. We like Parks and Rec. So I, I'm intrigued by that. But, you know, those yeah. those movie or those movies, those shows, I think, have a combination of zany sort of uh, screwball comedy mixed in with extremely understated blinker you'll miss it humor um that that I really love and and felt like it they were aiming for that here but they never really quite got there and I actually spent a ridiculous amount of time I hmm. meant what I said about the Jennifer Lawrence ongoing gag about her going back to hmm. why the general charged them for snacks. <laughs> I seriously think that was one of the funniest jokes in the show and I, in the movie. And I spent a lot of time trying to figure out why that is I think <laughs> it was because it was unexpected. Yeah. It was random and unexpected. And it was kind of the only joke that was the rest hmm. of the jokes were exactly in the, like the bullseye of where you thought they were going to go. 
if, if that I, makes sense. I, I think that's, that's probably a, a fair point and it, and it, it intersects with what I thought of the, uh, the, the brilliant use of facial expressions in this movie as far as they were, they were unexpected and they gave a lot of character depth. Like, um, when Meryl Streep is listening to the Jeff Bezos character and, uh, and and he's talking about you know the end and how he's like we're gonna humanity is gonna is gonna march off between the pillars of Boaz and Joachim and dance <laughs> naked in the light of wisdom and it, and then in the that beginning part of it he's she's she's smiling like oh I love yeah. this guy and then she starts like sort of frowning while she's smiling and then by, <laughs> and then by the end she's full on frowning and I was like that is absolutely brilliant and I yeah. was and I think she you know she's obviously brilliant but. Then I was thinking that probably Adam McKay was counseling people in this because there's another great moment where um, so, somebody, oh, where Meryl Streep's character says, Kate DiBiaschi connects with a disaffected youth, youth and the mentally ill. And then, and then <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence's facial expression is so brilliant. She's like, what the? Uh, and then there was lots of that in there. Lots of those little like unexpected um that I just absolutely loved. Unexpected and, facial expressions that were just fun to watch. And those were the moments that I most appreciated. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Like another one of the jokes that I thought for, I couldn't figure out why I thought it was so funny. was just right at the end of that first white house meeting where they keep showing shots of Jennifer Lawrence's combat boots. And she's got, <laughs> in case you haven't seen the movie, I can't remember whether it's orange hair or pink hair or whatever, the very short bangs and, and lots of uh, yeah. facial piercings. It's like reddish orange, I think fairly like a uh, girl with the dragon tattoo look. And hmm. uh, as Jonah Hill says, right. And just as they're going out, he's like, thanks for dressing up in fist. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. that. I thought I it was hilarious. That. I love that too. That was such, that was one of my favorite jokes because, hmm. um, because number one, it, it makes fun of him. Cause it's like, look how insensitive he is, but it also makes fun of her. Like it also, at the same time, it just kind of, cause it's kind of like, look, you know, she's a grad student. She doesn't care how she looks. She's going to the white house and she just, but, but at the same time, it's like, look at this idiot. She's trying to say the most important thing that he's ever heard in his right. life. And he's concerned with her dressing up. I, just, I was yeah, totally I that with was him in that scene. <laughs> I was like, you don't wear combat boots to the White House and expect to be taken seriously. I'm sorry. Right. Right. Apparently, they had an entire day where it was just Jonah Hill ad-libbing insults. Oh, to, I bet. Yeah. To Jennifer That's Lawrence. Awesome. That must have been really fun. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, um, shoot. What was I going to say? God damn it. No, it wasn't that. Well, well can, anyway, can I? Go ahead. Continue. Go yeah. ahead. I, I'll think of it. <laughs> I just want to say before we run out of time, like the, the very co the coda to the movie where all the like billionaires <laughs> lands on the alien planet and then Meryl Streep gets eaten by a dinosaur type monster. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think that's the part of the movie. It has really nothing to do with anything else in the movie, yeah. but it was just like, there's something about that to me that was just like so memorable and horrifying. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. 20 years from now, when I think of this movie, that's the thing that's going to pop into my head. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. doom, yeah. you know, after <laughs> 22,000 years, they, they yeah. wind up on the alien planet and then are immediately eaten by aliens. Yeah. Well, yeah. and that was such a well-planted joke too, because it's like, uh, he, he's talking about how he, uh, knows how everyone's going to die based on their, you know, their data. Yeah. Uh, and the president asks, like, and he's like, oh, you're, you're going to be eaten by, and he says rock. some name of a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's like, just like, well, what the fuck is that? You know? and, <laughs> and, he says, and he says, we don't know what the, we don't know what it means. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> but, um, oh, so I remembered what I was going to say. Uh, so uh, regarding uh, some of the performances and stuff, um, so Meryl Streep, like, obviously everyone always raves about how wonderful she is, and she's, like, won all kinds of awards and things, and it's like, and I don't disagree, but I, I to a certain extent, I was I was, always, I was often like, oh, Meryl Streep, I don't care. I, I, I'm not, like, going to watch a movie because Meryl Streep's in it or whatever, but uh, so I'm not, like, a huge, huge fan, although I respect her work, but, like, in this movie, like, I thought she just did a brilliant performance in that role. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, uh, and like, that was one of the things that I thought like, oh, like she's going to get a, you know, she's going to get nominated for best supporting actor in this. Like, I mean, like seems like a lock. Uh, and maybe, maybe the, maybe the, the Apple, uh, Bezos, whatever guy too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, cause he was also fantastic, but, um, you know, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I just, uh, mad respect to, uh, all the acting that, that in this movie, cause it's like, uh, yeah, a lot of the, I mean, I think, uh, I mean, DiCaprio too. I mean, he's always good and I mean, he was good in this, but, um, you know, I, yeah, I was just really impressed. Yeah, I agree. It's funny. I don't know that anyone else would be like, oh, you know, if you think Meryl Streep's a great actress, you got to see her and don't look up. Uh, but you know, <laughs> but it impressed me anyway. I just want to say, though, about that last scene with the the people yeah. getting eaten by the aliens is that I just like I guess one like very slight misgiving I have about this movie is that so often I hear people say really dumb stuff like, oh, if the environment gets too bad on Earth, we'll just like go to yeah. another planet. And and this sort of like fed into the I'm sure like most people understand that that's not going to happen, that we're like nowhere even remotely close to being able to send people to another planet. But I feel like there's mm -hmm. just like enough people who like don't understand that somehow that I just want to do whatever I can to get the message out that like as right. as environmental activists say, there is no planet <laughs> B like we're, we're not going to another planet. Just like you can like get that out of your head right now. And yeah. And Get it out of your head that all the problems are going to be solved by tech alone. If, if that ends up happening, great. But I mean, I don't know about you guys, but the, the idea of the whole cloud seeding thing. Oh boy. And, and just sort of what, what that looks like at the global level when you have countries arguing about who should do it and where it should be done and how it should be done. And just in the incredible negative consequences that, that might result from that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, snow piercer <laughs> sort <laughs> of consequences that might result from that. I just, I just think there's too many people who are content to go about their business as though, uh, you know, Elon Musk is going to fix it all five years from now. Not going to happen. I, I question that anybody's content. I, I think people are scared, but I think they're just like, what am I going to do about it? I have to, I have to pay the bills. I have to feed my family. That's where I, that's where my head is at. I'm like, this is terrifying. Um, and I have a meeting in five minutes. I mean, that, <laughs> right. that, it's sad, but that's where I'm at. I have to have to eat, yeah. I have to feed my family, I have to pay <laughs> bills. And at the same time, I'm like, I don't know what to do about this other stuff, but I'm definitely scared about it. I just... I don't disagree with you, Tom, and maybe I'm being a little bit glib. I guess what I'm talking about is um, the sort of people who are pushing really fast for certain technological solutions that can't be taken to scale and saying right. like, we need mm -hmm. to shut down all mining, we need to shut down all fossil fuels, we need to blah, blah, blah. It's, we can't do that yet. Right. Let's, let's take a breath and realize good, we can't do that point. yet. Um, and I think if you put too much faith on the tech side of things, you're going to very quickly reach a situation where the demand outstrips supply so bad. Anyways, I could go on about this. No, for a while, this but. is good point. Well, uh, uh, let me just say, though, Aaron, I mean, I, I think that I mean, I'm sort of in the I mean, I don't want to put too much faith in tech. But at the same time, I don't. Like just realistically, I don't see that the 
solution is going to be people like, you know, making better, you know, making more selfless choices on a mass scale. <laughs> like, no, what gives agree. you that impression, Dave? Right. And so, so it's like, I, I really hope that somebody invents some sort of effective carbon sequestration or something. Not because like I'm putting undue faith in tech, but because like, like what other, I, I don't have a lot of hope that of any course. non-tech solution is going to actually happen. But, but my you. point is tech can't do it alone because the, the market conditions won't necessarily support it going to scale. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about individual behavior. I'm talking about government, uh, intervention, collective at mm. the international level and at the national level, government intervention, fiddle with the markets so that they drive in a certain direction instead of just like letting unfettered capitalism do its thing. Right. <clears throat> no, I, I mean, I totally agree. That's what we should do. I just. I have sort of lost confidence that that's what we will do. Yeah. I mean, I think electric cars are a really good cautionary tale. We could have had them all along. Yeah. Don't want to bum everyone out here at the mm, end, yeah. but uh, yeah, I do hope someone invents some carbon sequestration thing. That would be good. If anyone's working on that. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> but, um, but no, I mean, I don't know, Aaron. Do you think that like movies like this could mobilize any sort of uh, policy solution if they were funnier, from your point of view? <laughs> I don't know that the role of the movies is to is to drive toward a particular policy. I think satire is is effective when when it makes you ask the right questions, not necessarily. Um, points to specific answers. And I think there's a degree of fatalism that has infected everybody's attitudes and my own included about climate change. Like, and it, you know, goes back to what you were just saying, Dave, that you don't have faith in this and that. And, it, and it's, we have to find the faith, even if we don't intellectually believe it, we have to be led by our hearts and not our heads because it's going to take all of these things in tandem to get there. We can't just move, you know, one dial and expect, and expect the problem to be solved. So, I mean, I, I think, to go back to what I said before about sort of seeing yourself in it or not seeing yourself in it. I think satire has a role to play in helping you see what, what part you pay, play in it. What, what cog in the system are you? And I don't think that this movie did that, but I think a, a, a good, a good movie could do that. Uh, so partway through Aaron's uh, uh, what she was just saying just now, I, I was ex it sort of sounded like, and that's why I'm running for governor. Uh, <laughs> you know, there was. <laughs> <sighs> Sorry. This is if yeah, Aaron. That if was you a ever, bit if you ever, but you know. Aaron, if you ever do run for public office, I hope you will announce it here on Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Okay, I'll I'll do that for sure. <laughs> It's funny, you know, I was saying before we got started that, you know, this is just one movie and it's not part of a series. It's not based on a book. I wasn't sure if we would talk about it for a full 90 minutes. And I feel like we could keep talking about this for a long time, but we're uh, sort of running up against the end, end of our time here. So I think we should start getting into some final thoughts. Um, but I guess, I don't know, is there anything else just in general about the movie that we haven't touched on that anyone has been wanting to talk about? I'd just like to call out one moment where uh, the uh, the one scientist there, who's not Jennifer Lawrence or Leonardo mm -hmm. DiCaprio, uh, gets gets you know they're take at the end they're taking all the scientists off the grid because they're telling the truth, and they're uh, they got the gun you know the SWAT team has the guns on him and he puts his hands up and he goes, "Be cool, 
you just have lighter skin because your ancestors moved to Europe and developed less skin <laughs> pigmentation so as not to get vitamin D. And then the scene cuts to someone else. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, that, that was, was brilliant. How they, did, they didn't let him finish his sentence. I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, that actor's name is Rob Morgan, by the way. So the Rob Morgan yeah. is the scientist who is not Leonardo DiCaprio or Jennifer Lawrence. Right. It, okay. It reminds good. me of uh, the other funny joke where where he's putting Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence on the train to go talk to the New York Herald, and he says no math, and Leonardo DiCaprio, oh, yeah. like, but it's all math, and it's the door closes. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. I really, um, I really identified with that, having been raised by two scientists. The, <laughs> the yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio I can't explain anything in a way that a normal person could understand. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I would. I just want to add, uh, as far as things we haven't talked about much, is um, we haven't really talked about Kate Blanchett very much, and I thought she was really great. Also, oh in the yeah, movie. yeah. Uh, like you know, she's one of the, like the vapid, um, you know, uh, morning show hosts that <laughs> interviews these scientists and like is just trying, is like doesn't get it and is keeps driving the conversation elsewhere. And, uh, and yet, yet know. has three master's degrees. I, I was going to say, but she right. isn't vapid. Actually, that's she's the not, tragedy right. of it. She's not vapid. She's smart. Si- she's just playing to the peanut gallery. Exactly. Right. 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 Yeah. That. Yeah. That actually makes it. Uh, that, that makes it kind of better. And because yeah, she does have that uh, pedigree. Um, but yeah, I mean, but she's wonderful in the role as well. So kudos yeah. to her as well. I, I, I agree. I didn't know it was her until the until almost oh, the end <laughs> of the movie where she where Leonardo DiCaprio has his head in a bag and he says, "Are you still there?" And she looks at him for a long time and says, "No." And I was like, <laughs> something about her voice was husky enough that I was like. Oh, that's Kate Blanchett. Uh, I, I just I just linked her to her character in uh, mm-hmm. uh, Thor Ragnarok. So oh. I was like, "Holy <laughs> crap, that's her!" Uh, so she yeah she did a, she like disappeared into that role. Mm-hmm. I also speaking of uh, Rob Morgan, he's the head I think of. It's called like the something of planetary office of planetary defense or something planetary like that. Planetary defense yeah. coordination office. Yeah, and and it, and it pops up with it's like someone says, one of the characters says, "Is that a real thing?" And it's like pops up on the screen, like, "Yes, it is. This is their yeah. logo." <laughs> this is their logo. logo. And that was the moment when I knew it was the same director as the Big Short. Mm-hmm. I was uh, like, "Oh, I know that yeah. move." <laughs> All right, so we need to start. We need to start wrapping this up. So, um, so Aaron, final thoughts on Don't Look Up. Uh, yeah, for all my, my criticism, I enjoyed it. I, I do give it a, a solid three stars out of five. I would like to see more movies that attempt to do what this movie was attempting to do. Um, mm. If that does happen, though, I would just plead with the writers to please not make it so American centric, because it is deeply ironic to me that you would make a global an allegory about global climate change. So obsessively navel gazing on the United States. Um, Because I think that's a big part of the problem right there is everybody's staring at their own navels, whether at the national level or at the individual level. So please uh, widen your scope. But I would I would like to see more satire attempt to tackle something like this. Yep, absolutely. Tom, final thoughts. I think I agree with Aaron, but I think it's going to be hard to it's going to be a hard sell because we we Americans just love our own navels. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> but no, I thought it was a I thought it was a funny I thought it was a very funny movie. I didn't I didn't think it was, you know, brilliant. I probably won't go back and watch it again. Maybe years from now, I'll be like, oh, I'll watch that again if we're all still alive. <laughs> but um, but I, I, yeah, I just thought it was really funny and fun. And um yeah, maybe didn't didn't make me think enough, but it did make me think for sure. And uh, and I'd I'd recommend it to anyone. I don't think it's a polemic at all. I don't think it's a soapbox 
soapbox piece. And John, final thoughts. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I I, I loved it. I uh, I I do still think that it uh, has a shot at, at winning a bunch of Oscars and stuff. I mean, as much as that matters to anything. Uh, I mean, my my hope is that if it does do that, that we'll get more movies that are attempting things like this, and maybe we'll make the movie that Aaron hoped this one was uh, was going to be. Uh, but I mean, for what it's worth, I mean, I or for what it is, I I, I just I thought it was great and. Um, you know, uh, I'm I'm just really happy to see, uh, uh, you know, a, a big like a major Hollywood movie even trying to tackle something like this, uh, despite whatever flaws it has, and um, also that it's like you know it's very firmly science fiction. Um, so, uh, but uh, but yeah, I just really enjoyed it, and I think uh, I agree with Tom that uh, I think like you know you could recommend it to almost anybody. Uh, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I thought it was really funny. Made me laugh a lot. I'm really glad I watched it. I definitely think it should be higher than 55% on Rotten Tomatoes. And yeah, I'm glad that it's had the success that it's had. And yeah, maybe we can we can get more movies like this. And uh, yeah, but any movie that just makes me laugh as much as this one did, like I'm a big fan of. So if you haven't watched it, which is apparently nobody, but if you haven't watched it, I give it two thumbs up. Definitely go check it out. But we are all out of time. So we're going to have to wrap things up there. So we've been speaking with John Joseph Adams, Aaron Lindsay, and Tom Gerenser. So thanks to everyone so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Great to be here. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to John Joseph Adams, Aaron Lindsay, and Tom Gerenser for joining us on the show. And remember that Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please support us on Patreon over at patreon.com geeks or via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. All right, so that was our show. So thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.